content in this podcast is not financial or investment advice. Whether you're, I'm doing it with a pen and I'm writing in my notebook or, or whether, you know, we're in a 3D immersive environment, you know, there's always going to be characters, whether they're represented by us, whether they're represented by, you know, an avatar that has some sort of, you know, uh, characteristics to it. Um, but all of it has to be cohesive and all of it has to have an engine. And anytime I go into writing a story or, you know, when Tab and I work together and we're creative together, we always go like, well, what's the why? And what is the engine that we're, we're, we're building, right? And, and that's whether we're developing something for a, a cartoon that needs to have like 52 episodes of 11 minutes, or whether it's an hour and a half movie, whether it's, you know, a, a comic book that's 110 pages, five issues, everything has an arc everything has some sort of like you know connective tissue to it but the thing that we're looking at as we go into what we'll consider a web 3d is a persistent world it's going to live even when we turn it off just as the internet lives even when we shut down just as you know that's the thing that's different about gaming in you know for instance like i'm playing cyberpunk 2077 right now that world has been sort of written. There's things that are happening because of triggers that I'm doing as I engage the world and create with the world. But you know, then you compare that to like Grand Theft Auto, like GTA V, that's more of a metaverse. It's a persistent world where there's always things happening. People are playing on the online version, right? And you know, there's always stuff happening. So when you're writing and building worlds, you're always thinking about like, okay, what's the engine? What is this thing that is going to keep spitting out ideas and make it evergreen so that we constantly can keep going, okay, well, we pushed there, we pushed on that, we've done this. And I think it goes back to pencil and paper storytelling, role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, Starfinder, you know, any Shadowrun, any of these games that, you know, have these massive worlds and lore that really kind of came out of, you know, Tolkien and these, these incredible world builders like, you know, Lucas and the Star Wars franchise. I mean, those are really kind of our, our kind of North stars because they show us like, well, how can you create persistent worlds? Hi, I'm Mike D'Annunzio, the founder of Pebble Ventures, and welcome to another episode of Metaverse Matters. Today, Lauren and I talk with B. Earl. He's a Marvel writer, blockchain consultant, NFT storyteller, and lover of comic books. Ben, to me, is really the epitome of the creator economy. It's a very interesting conversation about all the different avenues that he is pursuing and ways that creators can leverage the metaverse and Web3 and create new revenue streams and business models for themselves. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. As always, I learned a lot and let's jump in. Welcome everybody to the next episode of Metaverse Matters. Uh, really excited to be here with my colleague, Lauren Fenema and B. Earl, also known as Ben. Uh, ben and I met, we both were speaking at the Retail Innovation Conference on actually different Metaverse panels. And we had a chance to get together after with some of the other panelists and just have a really cool conversation about Web3, Web2.5, the metaverse, all of these different things. And Ben, uh, for those of you who don't know him, is a Marvel writer. He's an executive producer. He's an NFT world builder. And I love, because we're going to get into this, you're a Web2.5 consultant, <laughs> not Web2.5. 
Uh, yes. <laughs> so, and you also, as I, as we were just talking, you're, you really represent the creator economy. You know, you are a super creative person. You're into all sorts of different things, both in the real world and the physical world to now this kind of newer version of the digital world. And so I just think hearing your perspective on how you've been approaching projects, I think it's going to be super exciting. And so welcome and thank you for coming. Absolutely. Absolutely, Michael. I, I really appreciate it. And Lauren, great to meet. Likewise. Uh, it was, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, you know, going to, to Rice was such a, a new experience for me in the sense that like coming from the comic book world, like San Diego Comic-Con, WonderCon, you know, back in the day, Wizard World, like I was at every one of those conventions, speaking at those conventions. We helped with LA Comic-Con here when the original founders had Kamikaze. So my community, Comic Book Sunday, was very integral in helping, you know, them set up uh, a lot of their relationships and connections here in Los Angeles. So, you know, it's been in such an interesting journey. And then ending up at a retail conference, I was like, okay, this is cool and this is new. And, um, and it was a kind of a roundabout way that I got introduced into this world, um, actually through an old friend of mine, we went to high school together uh, and he does PR for e-commerce. Uh, and you know he saw what I was doing with one of my uh, NFT projects. He was like, man, he's like, I really love what you're doing and how you're really approaching it in a pragmatic way you're not super frothy about like how everything is going to when moon, when Lambo. It's it's really about connecting and creating and storytelling. And so that started our conversation about like what what I like to call web 2.5 because you know, I, I'm I'm very much about the fact that like web 3 is sort of a myth that we are approaching at some point. Um, and, you know, and that was something John, John Forberger uh, is my friend who, you know, we reconnected. And so he introduced me to Alicia over at, um, at Retail Innovation. Uh, and she was like, man, she's like, we need to get you on a panel. And I was like, I'm down. This sounds super fun. And going to Chicago. <laughs> awesome. I haven't been there since C2E2, which is another comic book convention. <laughs> so you know, it, it was really, it was really fun and everybody was so great there and just, you know, meeting folks like yourself and, and I love seeing now creative connecting to, you know, this world of retail and tech and commerce. I just think it's so important because I feel like there's just so many siloed conventions and everyone is just so kind of in their own space and they forget to talk about the folks that are in the other spaces. Sure. And I think things like Rice would do well to have more folks like me from the, you know, comic animation filmmaking world, as well as the comic book space, have more folks from the Rice world and the tech world and that. So I think it's very important these conversations start happening. Yeah, for sure. And I thought it was really interesting. You post a lot on LinkedIn. I find your posts to be really thoughtful and interesting. Thanks. And I do want to kind of jump into this idea of Web3 being a myth. Yeah. And you, you talk about it really well, you know, almost like there's a solution in search of a problem in some ways. And, uh, but at the same time, you say, we need myths, we need heroes, we need stories. So yes. as a creator, how, how do you think about these new technologies, these new channels that are available to you to enhance what you've been doing for, you know, the last 20 years? Well, I'll be honest. I mean, I think they're incredible because I came... I come from tech. Like I started in, you know, my dad was a computer scientist. 
Uh, we grew up with, you know, computers always in the house. Uh, what got me into filmmaking was actually a working with a web, web one, right? You know, it wasn't web one, it was the internet, the World Wide Web. Uh, I was working with a, uh, a company that was consulting with Johnson & Johnson, uh, and I was 19, heading up their video production department, figuring out codecs for right. streaming, connecting to these slideshows that doctors were putting on with this proprietary software. So, you know, for me, it was like tech and, and creative always have been this, this marriage that sometimes, you know, for better or worse, there's an imbalance in that marriage. And, you know, what got me into filmmaking was the ability to buy my own uh, editing software and my own camera, which set me off on a journey uh, working in documentaries and then in television and then ultimately into film and cartoons and this and that and growing from there. But it really was that ability to have the technology accessible as a storyteller, as a creative, to be able to take something like Rebirth, which was an old... Uh, music software and make cool beats on my computer <laughs> and then burn them into CDs and then hand them out to friends in college and be like, yo, check out this new techno beat I made. This is back when it was called techno, you know? <laughs> like, and it was just, you know, it was the fun of being able to like have tools at your fingertips and this freedom to just like think it and then create it. And I think, you know, unfortunately, I feel as we've gone into this like web two, uh, and now shifting into what we're calling Web3, what I think Gavin Wood titled Web3. And I, I, I love the show Silicon Valley when Richard Hendricks is like, so I want to invent a new internet. And I'm like, this is what's happening. Like, it's like, it, Mike Judge, I really think, saw the future. Like, he's a time traveler, right? Like 100%. Idiocracy, right? Like, Mike Judge finger on the pulse that guy knows like the future so if we need to see like who's our oracle Mike judge um, but you know I think that's to me it's like technology is so critical in creativity because you know it allows us to one distribution right all of a sudden streaming comes along and now we have a new way to you know take in content and view content um my biggest concern though, and my biggest issue and what we're coming out of this web two version of influencers and algorithms is that, you know, it's, it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog where technology is leading creative and creative should be leading technology. I mean, it was the best example of like the 1940s filmmaking at the studio system where you had a filmmaker a director say, oh man, like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could shoot in this sort of lighting? And then Kodak goes off and goes, we got you a new film stock and here it is. And, and the film director is like, amazing. Now I can shoot in low lighting and I don't have to be blasting it. You know, it's like, and that to me is like where technology should be servicing the artists and the creatives and not the other way around. So, I mean, that's kind of going back to like this, what I call the myth of web three, you know, it's, it's an idea. It's the hope. It's a hope for a decentralized internet, one where creatives are able to utilize the technology, build together with community, and ultimately distribute in ways that are fairly monetized for those creators. Like, I think that's the big vision and idea, but we're not there yet. And that's this idea of like, well, what is the metaverse? Well, the metaverse is a three-dimensional web where we kind of pull away the screen. We're no longer in web, you know, in video chat where we're in sort of a, an environment that we feel like is a simulation of, of our reality. 
And, you know, but a simulation of reality needs world building and it needs the stories and it needs the myths and they all need to be that connective tissue connecting these cultures and the ideas and ideologies and all of that in a much larger and more meaningful way. And I think that's, and, and, you know, this is not to go completely off tangent, but I think that's really where brands can have a great opportunity to integrate themselves in a way that is not obtrusive and not, you know, forcing a message down someone's throat where it's like messaging aligns, just find the right people, the right communities, and you can find those artists to represent your message and those characters and those creatives. And it will feel like really authentic in the sort of creative space and in this sort of metaverse three-dimensional web. So anyway, that's my spiel and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. And you're also doing a lot of different things with Rensa Games and Slideshow. And, and so just maybe tell us a little bit about what you're seeing out there in terms of, you know, kind of more interesting projects or more, you know, credit card payments and things for creators. I'd be just curious to get your views on, you know, some of the more interesting things that you're seeing as it relates to creators and the creator economy. Absolutely. I mean, so with Rensa, Rensa's, Anthony Apollo is an old friend of mine. Um, he and I met through the blockchain space. Uh, this was before, you know, and I've been in this NFT space since 2017, 2018. I mean, we were throwing parties in Santa Monica, uh, you know, called Controlled Chaos, where we gave, we didn't call them POAPs, we called them NFT party favors. Uh, right? We launched a cryptocurrency. Yeah, this is, this is my old, I have this always sitting here. This is our card, Controlled Chaos, and you would scan the QR on the back and you would get your NFT and we could give you cryptocurrency. And, and it was, but for me, it was more about this experiment, you know? And so that was Anthony and I connected shortly uh, after that. Um, and he wasn't, he hadn't started Rensa. He had just come out of consensus and, you know, both of us being kind of these creative nerds wanting to build worlds and tell stories. Um, I was like, man, you know, I, I, we got this project we're going over to Cartoon Network with. And he's like, yo, he's like, let me help you put a pitch deck together with NFTs and maybe we can make a game. I was like, I know, let's try. And, but unfortunately, you know, the, the, the froth hadn't come up yet with everything now. So no one knew what we were talking about or, you know, so, and, and my, so my producing partner, Taboo and I have our company um, called, um, called Skyview Way. So that has kind of been my integration tool for all of these different companies I've been, you know, working with. I mean, I do obviously work somewhat independently, but as a creative, I'm a duo. Excuse me, I'm a duo with uh, with Taboo, um, as a Marvel writer, as a as a creative with uh, with Cartoon Network. So you know, these projects, Sideshow, for instance, that you mentioned, um, they're an incredible company. They're a collectible company. I was always a huge fan of them. Taboo made the introduction um, to, to that company, and we started building a project. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it because we're going to reveal it at, at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, but that's what got me in with Sideshow. And, you know, I love physical product. I love collectibles. I love, you know, statues. Um, they're very expensive at Sideshow, but I think one of the interesting things is that as we go into a digital space, there's opportunities to create things that are, you know, a cheaper, and I say that cheaper, not like worse version, but like a more affordable version that you can have as a digital collectible in some way. Um, these are things that we're, we're discussing, uh, you know, with, 
with Sideshow uh, for our own project, but also in general, uh, you know, working with Sideshow myself and just having signed on with them to consult in this sort of Web3 <laughs> digital strategy. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to kind of identify really amazing creator communities and digital communities and help them come to physical product, you know, help kind of bridge them into, hey, you've created this amazing, let's say, for instance, our NFT project Chiwas, uh, and was like, hey, let's make a really cool Chiwa statue. And because it's a vibrant community and because the community cares and there's maybe a DAO built around it and you know, and there's there's able to be putting funding towards it and Sideshow can come in and partner and help with all of the steps that I don't know how to make a statue. Right. I don't know, you know, I don't know how to, you know, do all those pieces. And then on top of that, figure out the distribution and all that. Those are elements where we can start bridging these, these um, opportunities with companies like Sideshow. Uh, Rensa is an interesting one because, you know, with Rensa, for instance, they, they've launched themselves as a games platform. But my identification with Rensa has always been Rensa should be a power platform as like a tech stack. And Anthony and I have talked a lot about that. Now we're, we, you know, as Rensa has been kind of moving forward, um, you know, when I work with them as an advisor, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to implement that tech stack so that it can be in, brought over to other companies. So there is this Web3 integration. Um, and the thing with Rensa that's unique um, that no one has out in the market is that they have a way with royalty streams where you basically can have 10 creators and all those creators can simply say, okay, we have a deal amongst ourselves. Uh, you get 5%, I get 20%, da, 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 and then you put it into a token, an NFT token, an ERC-1155 token, and that token then as is your game or is your whatever it is, represents your creative property project. Um, and then that will then have automatic distribution royalty streams. And they're built on Polygon and Ethereum, but they can, you know, they're looking at other, other places. But I've mainly been working uh, with Polygon. I really like, you know, they're, they have an amazing support team. They have, you know, just great people that are there to help. So, you know, kind of the long way of it all, it's like there's a many different nodes. And I think what we're all trying to do and what I'm particularly trying to do is like create connective tissue between these nodes and in a way create like a, a studio city where everyone can sort of operate in their own, their own ways, but there's a holistic approach to how things can scale up or scale down if needed. Uh, and allow creators to have all of these tools at their disposal to say, okay, well, gosh, okay, rents is over here. Well, we can put together a, a royalty stream for what we're creating. Okay, cool. We built this incredible community and we really want to make a physical product. Oh, wow. Sideshow's over here and they offer this. Okay, great. And Polygon has these opportunities for us to, you know, create scalable dApps and da, da, da. So it's like, it's building what we're calling a creative protocol, a creeper. <laughs> So I've got like this brain trust of friends uh, and different companies, and we're all coming together to build the creeper. Um, so you heard it here first. <laughs> um, Amazing know, branding right there. <laughs> the creeper, you know, Minecraft, it was Anthony Apollo who named it that. He's like, Minecraft could have creepers. Why can't we? <laughs> so, anyway, but but that's that's kind of the the large version of that answer. I think you know there's a lot of incredible companies out there uh, doing cool stuff, 
but a lot of times they're not talking to each other. And a lot of times they're building in their bubbles uh, or they're operating in verticals that, you know, could have a better, you know, or could work really well with this idea over here. So my goal and job that I'm kind of taking on is like, hey, let's just create these really great brain trusts and, and come together and, and, you know, talk about stuff and figure out how we can do this. Yeah, it sounds like you're building a cool ecosystem of, of things. And um, my mind also, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on as you think about world building and characters and heroes, how do you get excited about these new technologies and platforms to your point that help make the web 3D? And do you are you curious about how to build in those spaces and actually bring that to life in a more immersive way? Um, or do you feel like that's still the 2.5 to 3.0 graduation curve? <laughs> um, and yeah, that I think also like thinking about how in those immersive worlds, this fandom can be represented and kind of stoking the flame of that community there and kind of what, what, how you approach that, think about it. Well, I think you hit on it. I, it comes back to fandom, right? Like there's so many niche communities and there's so many incredibly uh, vibrant communities and web three is like latched onto this idea of community, right? Like that's such a buzzword now. And I'm like, gosh, like I've been doing this for like 15 years, like real life community building and, you know, bringing my comic book friends with my film friends and calling it comic book Sunday right. and, you know, getting a panel at San Diego comic-con and, you know, rocking shirts we made merch, you know, like that kind of thing. So um, and then, you know, on the other side, I, I also play music and music is such an incredible way to bring people together in a real time space, right? Like jamming with people is an automatic creation of ideas and, and sharing something without having to have a language barrier. You have the universal language of music and started a jam in my living room, ended up on the Sunset Strip at the, 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 the world famous Rainbow Bar, you know, Bar and Grill, right? Where John Lennon and the Hollywood vampires would hang out. And we've got a residency there. Actually, it's tonight. So if any, I don't know if this will go live today, but. but the next one though, yeah. You know, the first Thursday of every month, we are at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. It's an incredible, diverse musical group of people. And it's open. Like people get up and they just come in from the audience and they jam and they create and they play. And we've had people from all over the world that are just in town visiting and going, well, I just saw a show at the Whiskey and I walked down to the Rainbow and oh my God, there's people playing here. And oh, now I picked up a guitar and I'm playing on the Sunset Strip. What? Like <laughs> that sort of incredible feeling of connecting to a much larger story, right? The rainbow has an incredible story connected to it. It's a real world space that, you know, where Ozzy Osbourne, you know, still Post Malone, still like you can, I, I saw Post Malone out in the, in the, in the parking lot, a couple jams, you know, it's like these, these are these opportunities uh, where, you know, people can come together they can be part of a history, they can be part of something meaningful, and then they can leave with a feeling, right? And they can leave with something that they've caught, you know, and, and not a, and a good virus, right? Like the problem I have with like a lot of this, this influencer culture and the web two version of, you know, uh, the TikToks and the Instagrams and this and that, it's so focused on bite-sized content that gets you like a high for a second, and then you walk away and you go, oh, what's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? And, you know, we've been seeing this since, you know, MTV generation. I mean, that's my generation, right? I mean, Same. grew up, right? Like, I'm an 80s baby. I was born in 1980. I'm that tag yeah. end of the Gen Xers. 
and as TRL as and all the things. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, my so my friend TRL, it's funny you say that. So one of our, our members of our jam nation is Ananda Lewis, who was on uh that whole world of MTV yep. and BET. And she and I met, you know, randomly. And and here's someone who She's the epitome of like what the Jam Nation, our, our community is all about, where she had always wanted to be a, a music and singing and doing, you know, performing, but was was a host and was always in that space. And, you know, ended up coming to the living room jams, ended up then kind of graduating up into like, oh, wow, like, okay, cool. We're at the rainbow. And slowly now she's like the, the lead. She's like yeah. the mom of the crew and she's like singing <laughs> and and it's like incredible watching those journeys because journeys take time. Mm -hmm. And that's the big thing of storytelling. And that's the big thing that I think we're going to end up seeing in this sort of metaverse web three, because you can't have bite-sized content that is going to feel this viral mimic moment. You're going to be right. immersed in a world and going, okay, no, like what's the meaning here? Why am I here? And so like, I know that's like a long kind of full version answer, but it really does come back to community. And it's not about vi viral moments. It's about a feeling that you get from connecting and creating together and going out and bringing that to the world. And when you think about how to tell that story, let's say for one of your characters or, or a journey that you love, are you typically like looking to a team to help to obviously build out those 3D spaces and like collaborate together? And thinking about is there a series of like priorities that you think about to bring that authenticity another buzzword but like yeah, to yeah. bring that story to life in these 3d spaces is there kind of like a method to the madness or does it depend on the group that you're with to actually create some of these worlds and think through how they could how, how they could emerge in these new spaces well you know what's what's really cool about that look storytelling is storytelling is storytelling right totally like, yeah whether you're i'm doing it with a pen and i'm writing in my notebook or or whether you know we're in a 3D immersive environment, you know, there's always going to be characters, whether they're represented by us, whether they're represented by you know an avatar that has some sort of you know uh, characteristics to it. Um, but all of it has to be cohesive, and all of it has to have an engine. And anytime I go into writing a story, or you know, when Tab and I work together and we're creative together, we always go like, well, what's the why? And what is the engine that we're 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 building, right? And and that's whether we're developing something for a, a cartoon that needs to have like 52 episodes of 11 minutes, or whether it's an hour and a half movie, whether it's you know a a comic book that's 110 pages, five issues. Everything has an arc. Everything has some sort of like you know, connective tissue to it. But the thing that we're looking at as we go into what we'll consider a web 3D is a persistent world. It's going to live even when we turn it off, just as the internet lives, even when we shut down, just as, you know, that's the thing that's different about gaming in, you know, for instance, like I'm playing Cyberpunk 2077 right now. That world has been sort of written. There's things that are happening because of triggers that I'm ha doing as I engage the world and create with the world. But you know, then you compare that to like Grand Theft Auto, like GTA V, that's more of a metaverse. It's a persistent world where there's always things happening. People are playing on the online version, right? 
And, you know, there's always stuff happening. So when you're writing and building worlds, you're always thinking about like, okay, what's the engine? What is this thing that is going to keep spitting out ideas and make it evergreen so that we constantly can keep going, okay, well, we pushed there, we pushed on that, we've done this. And I think it goes back to pencil and paper storytelling, role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, Starfinder, you know, any Shadowrun, any of these games that, you know, have these massive worlds and lore that really kind of came out of, you know, Tolkien and these, these incredible world builders like, you know, Lucas and the Star Wars franchise. I mean, those are really kind of our, our kind of North Stars because they show us like, well, how can you create persistent worlds? And ultimately the persistent worlds right now are being created by a group of professionals and people that understand how these worlds build, how these engines connect, how these you know, systems all work together. But my hope and vision is, is that as creatives, as a uh, collective, as humans, as storytellers, as producers of our own kind of content, as we walk through our real world, why can't we do that in a digital world? Why can't we also influence a massive universe as a character and then help kind of construct that? But knowing that there's guardrails, knowing that, you know, we can't break that because it won't allow us to break it. We can't break the system. You know, if you're in a world that you're not able to fly or it's a low magic world, well, all of a sudden you can't be the most powerful sorcerer in a low magic world. Like that doesn't work. It breaks the world. So I think, you know, these are the things that I think are really important as we sort of go into this next version over the next five to 10 years and start thinking about like, okay, what are these engines? How are we connecting the right people to help build these engines? The professional people, the people that work in entertainment, that work in gaming, that work in Hollywood, that work in Silicon Valley. But at the end of the day, it's like giving the tools to the consumer. And also implementing the guardrails and implementing the kind of system rules and saying, okay, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. You have a D20. This is, you know, <laughs> like this is the this is how it works. You need to roll a, a, a difficulty check if you're going to do this. Whatever it is, like those rule sets need to be in place, whatever system we're going to engage in. And it's going to take large groups of people, whether it's a DAO, whether it's a kind of large, you know, company that has the IP in-house, um, or whether it's a group of individuals that come together and say, hey, we really want to create a cool world. And then we're going to give the keys over to the, you know, the community, which is kind of what we're seeing a bit with NFTs, which is what a lot of our experimentation with the Chihuahuas project has been, you know, kind of playing with that, getting the community involved. It's challenging. I mean, we we've been running that project since October, November, and, you know, it's in discord is not the greatest tool. Like it's, it's a great, it's a great tool for what it is. Right. But it wasn't built for what everyone's using it for in the ways that they are, you know, and I, I do say that it's kind of like, it's the, the, the bones, I guess you could say of what we need to build on. Maybe discord will evolve and grow into something that will have the utility we need or maybe it will be left behind and something better will come along that will have the stuff that we need to do this. And that to your point, we can bring the right group of people together. We can build the community around it. And that ultimately we can allow for the community themselves to actually engage in this persistent world 
and have meaningful like push on it, push the walls, do things that get recorded into this world that become canon. And when that canon, it's like, there's my hero, just like World of Warcraft does. I mean, there's legends in these, these MMO, you know, these massive games. So I think that's, there's, there's a lot of examples we can look to and take from and say, okay, it, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel, but we can take the best of all the things that work and start figuring out how to connect the dots. And that's, that's what I would like to see happen. That's what I'm working on. I, I think there's, I'm sure there's other folks that are doing, you know, the same. I want to connect, keep connecting with all these great minds out there, <laughs> you know, that are, that are envisioning this because, you know, no one's an expert in this. Anyone that tells you they're an expert in NFTs and web three and the metaverse, they're, how, like my grandfather was an expert in economics because he was a professor of economics at Temple University. But even so, like there's so much still to learn and grow. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of smart people. And I think we can learn from experts in their fields and then take that information and start helping grow this, this big idea. Yeah, very cool. I want to turn a little bit to DAOs. I know yeah. you're talking about that. And do you see DAOs as something that the creative community needs? Is it going to be helpful? Is it how, you know, there DAOs, there's a, it's really a governance mechanism, right? Yeah. And, and so I, in, in some ways, I think they're really interesting. And in other ways, sometimes I struggle to see at least with certain DAOs, like what value are they truly providing other than the fact that it's kind of cool to talk about we're a DAO. And I'm just curious how you're thinking about it in terms of these communities that you want to build, do you think establishing a DAO is something that's needed, something that's going to add a lot of value to it? Well, it kind of goes back to your thing of like, there's a solution looking for a problem, mm -hmm. um, you know, which I was like, is Web3, you know, like this hammer searching out a nail, right. you know, like there's a lot of really cool tech, right? But again, it's this, is the tech the creative, you know, is, is the tech the tail wagging the creative dog? Is it something that is like, we don't need that for this problem or this, you know, challenge or whatever we're coming up against, right? And I think a lot of people right now are going, oh, we need to be an NFT project or we need to have a DAO or we need to be this or a brand is saying, oh, we need to have this because everyone's doing it and we need to have a roadmap to the metaverse and we need to, and it's like that sort of thing of like, well, no, there's incredible tools that have been developed in this web two world, right? In this what we have right now. And, you know, the DAO itself is a really interesting, um, an interesting tech, right? It's an interesting solution. And I think there's been a lot of really fun uh, explorations with it, like the Constitution DAO, uh, which was a big, you know, got a lot of big press. Uh, they didn't end up buying the Constitution. I think they were short. Anthony was was a part of that. You know, turns out their coin actually went up. I don't know where it is right now with the uh, the market, but but anyway, the point is is like you know, does it serve the purpose that it's it's setting out to solve? Right, the challenge or problem. Uh, I think DAOs could be really interesting if you have let's say five different companies and each company provides a really integral service to something that needs to get done. But you don't want to go off and create a brand new company. You don't want to go off and make a new corporation, have to file all the taxes and do to this and do to that. And, you know, whereas if you were to create a DAO and say, okay, 
we're, we're, we're creating a mechanized board system. It is, it is augmented by, you know, the technology. Um, we will create a token governance and it will be a voting system that will allow us to, you know, achieve what we need to achieve based on the skill sets that we're bringing to the table. I think there's something interesting there. I think that, you know, when you start looking at like a, a 10,000 person DAO to buy the constitution, that's cool. It's one, it's one thing that they're going out to set and to do, right? But if there was something like, let's just say, hey, we're going to build this and there's five companies that do it, different things really well. And we have this big vision we want to build, but we don't want to create something brand new. I think a DAO could be interesting. I think, you know, where there maybe is a brand that is like, hey, we need this done. And there's these three different companies that can do it. And they're going to be along the road for this large, you know, kind of roadmap project that is going to require a lot of milestones to accomplish. I think a DAO could be a really interesting way to, to explore that. So that's kind of my opinion. Um, it has yet to, be, I have yet to see that. Uh, I, I think it would be a great way as opposed to, you know, a company like a Facebook or Meta gobbling up all these other companies and then kind of forcing them into square peg round hole, you know, these different corporate ideologies and, and, you know, it would be sometimes better to keep them separate, let these companies live and breathe as they were created, as opposed to try to shoehorn them into some sort of large mechanism that, you know, is just eating up everything. And I think that's where DAOs could really work when it comes to, you know, this sort of corporate capital system that allows for real democratic governance. Sure. Good points. Yeah. So we got like a minute or two left. Lauren, I don't know if you had another question or anything. Always. Else. I mean, always, yeah, but no. I feel, I feel like we sure. covered, we covered a lot. And um, yeah, I guess my only last question would just be, just because it's top of mind for me, we've been recently checking out this platform called VV, which is all about fandom and NFTs. Yeah. And just curious, one, if you've heard of it, and then two, kind of your overall thoughts, you mentioned fandom and digital collectibles earlier, and just if you have any bets in that space, or if you think it's interesting, um, or anything to add uh, more to what you already were talking about. Yeah, I mean, you know, so I, I've I've known of Vivi for a while just because um, working with Marvel, we had kind yeah. of whisperings of the spider. You know, I'm, we're writing Tab and I are writing this new Spider-Man series right now. Uh, so you know, we've we've been aware of of the the project and and the the company, and I think you know, there's again, these are all experiments, right? Like it, no one knows because at the end of the day, how many wallets are really out there? Like if you're going to go and create like a massive collection and there's only, let's say, you know, a million wallets or <laughs> 20 million, like it's, it's a really, it's a still a niche market, right? Like we're still looking at collectors in this digital space, especially this NFT digital space is still a very niche market. And that is why it became so frothy because, you know, you have this small group of people that are like building and building and hyping and hyping and, you know, and it's, it's for their own good too, because then it helps raise their values of what they're having and blah, 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 you know, and <clears throat> collectors and being a collector myself and, and, you know, having been in the collecting space of comics and, you know, Tab got me a bit into collecting toys. I, I myself was always collecting Joker toys. Like I have a massive collective Joker toys, which I've since handed off to my son. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's something about collecting, right? Like 
a collector is a very specific type of person. They're someone who appreciates uh, the craftsmanship of whatever that collection is for, you know, whether it's a fun or it's also representative of their personality, right? Like one of my best friends, he's a huge pop collector, but he will only collect specific pops that represent his personality. You walk into his house and you can immediately have an entire understanding of, first off, he's one of the biggest Spider-Man fans I have ever known. Um, and you immediately will go, okay, he loves Spider-Man. And then you go <laughs> over and be like, oh, and he's into the Goonies and 80s, you know, monster and Seinfeld and da, da, da. So, you know, there's something about collectors. They want to show you what they're into. They want to share their collection with you. It's a big part of it, right? But there's also a need to feel like I'm filling something out. I am collecting because I, for me, it was like, okay, I love that Joker from like the 19, you know, uh, 40s or whatever. Um, I like that Caesar, you know, it's like, it's all those kinds of things like to fill these kind of pockets, right? And I think when it comes to companies like Vive, you know, or other collector companies and working with Sideshow is an, a perfect example. I mean, they're an incredible high-end collectible company, right? The, the craftsmanship is amazing. Uh, the statues are, are beautiful. And, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm working with them, but I'm saying this because I was a fan before I even met them. Um, and I think, you know, collectors are fans, right? Like we want to share our fandom with others. We want to bring others into our fold and help them understand why we are fans. Why do I, you know, it's like, I love Spider-Man because of this, you know, I love Wolverine because whatever it is, and you get two fans in the room and one of them loves DC and one of them loves Marvel. And, you know, they're going to have an argument, but at the end of the day, they're still going to walk away and go, we love comics. We right. love storytelling. We love, like there's, it's, it's friendly fighting. You know what I'm saying? There's friendly in fighting in the fandoms of, you know, <laughs> which villain is better, blah, blah, blah. But that also represents collecting. And if you're going to have a collection, if you're going to create collectibles, whether it's a Vive or a Sideshow or, you know, whatever collector, you know, companies are um, putting these things out there, you know, you need a few things. One, you need a way to show it to people because if you can't show it to people, it doesn't really matter. It's almost right. like if a tree falls in the forest, does anyone hear it? If they're not, you know, it's like, that's kind of the thing with the collection. So if you, you could put together the greatest collection, but where are you going to show it? You know, hey friends, like, okay, if you put it up on Instagram, Instagram now is meta polygon. Okay, cool. Like you can put it up there maybe, but you know, there's still something about the physicality. And to me, like, that's why I'm a big, you know, proponent of, of building, you know, this connective tissue between digital and physical. Um, I think that's a key point. And I think that anyone in the kind of brand space and in the, in the retail space, you know, I think it's figuring out, you know, how to first onboard and capture the fandom because onboarding is the biggest challenge, right? How do you get people in? If you're selling them something for like a thousand dollars, they're going to go now. Nah. But if you sell it to them for a dollar or give it to them for free because they're already part of an existing loyalty program, they're going to go, whatever, fine. I'll download a MetaMask or I'll download a Phantom Wallet and cool. And then you, here's my email and here's my, my now you have my wallet, uh, uh, you know, address, my public and boom, free airdrop. Cool. I got something in there. Really neat. 
Now, all of a sudden, you've onboarded them. That's what we were doing with our controlled chaos, these parties. It was onboarding people. And this was back in 2018. It was a much more challenging issue to onboard people. And then the next step is really, once you've onboarded them, is figuring out, well, how do people show this stuff? How do you share that fandom? Whether it's you know a fandom of a, a beauty product or a fandom of a you know comic book collectible, you know <laughs> like and that sharing the fandom is such a key component. And then that next final step of it is bringing those new folks into the fandom so that they can then also be a part of that community. And that's really kind of like what it builds around. So whether Vive can do that, whether you know it's going to take an integration of like a lot of different nodes. It's not going to be like, okay, Marvel just put out a, a Spider-Man thing. Well, cool. Who's got it? How is, what's the support? Where's the things that are happening around it? So, you know, long answer, but I think it's a really compounded answer that ultimately is going to take a lot of different systems to connect and really coordinate in order to basically bring those things to a much larger life. Awesome. Awesome. This was so cool. Thank you for, we could talk forever. I know. Yeah. I was like, so yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you so much for having me on Thank and being you. part of this. Really I mean, appreciate this is... you coming on and we'll get your details for everyone uh, who's watching to, you know, where they can follow you and track you You're writing a lot of good stuff. So thanks again. Really appreciate you coming. Absolutely. Yeah, great to meet you. Yeah. Michael again. So great to see you. Hopefully yeah, we'll yeah. see you at another conference. We'll oh, all yeah, be for sure. IRL. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Have all a right. good one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Metaverse Matters by Pebble Ventures. If you enjoyed the content, please do subscribe and rate the show. You could also connect with us on LinkedIn at pebbleventures.com or directly at mike at pebbleventures.com. If you're a brand exploring the space or you're already testing and are looking to develop next level strategies, please do reach out. We'd welcome an introductory conversation to learn more about your goals, where you are in the process, and share our thoughts about your business. Have a great day.